everybody in that country in India has a cell phone. Like there's more cell phones in India than I think there are rats in New York City. You know what I mean? Like, so, so the idea being that like basically because everyone's walking around with an iPhone, you know, a cell phone, suddenly the, the, this becomes a market. This, you know, so Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, Apple, they're all trying to get in. They're all trying to get into India. Welcome to Candid Insights. I'm your host, Sahil Badruddin, and today we have with us Asif Mandi, British-American actor and comedian, and a previous contributing correspondent on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Asif, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I want to start by talking about your experience growing up in the West, especially America. Could you generally speak about how things are the same and how they're now different? Yeah, I can certainly generally speak about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, try to stay away. I'll try to stay away from specifics. Well, let me ask you this. What do you mean by, uh, I think a lot of things are the same. A lot of things are, uh, have obviously evolved and are different. Uh, but what are you specifically talking about? Like what, what, what area? I'm specifically talking about more on the, like, do you see a lot of shifts in terms of culture and especially like perhaps popular culture and perhaps even from the angle of Muslims too? I, I mean, my, my family came to America in the, in the 1980s and, uh, and, you know, that was a time when there were very, I, I don't think even people knew who, where I was from or, you know, what a Muslim was, you know, I think back then people yeah. thought a, Mus a Muslim was a type of cloth, you know, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I came to, we came here and uh, it was, it was very like, we were kind of invisible in some ways. And then, you know, uh, working in the entertainment business and being an actor and all that, like, I feel like, you know, I can speak from that perspective of like, it was difficult to get, parts and work because there was nothing being written for um right brown actors mm -hmm. for a long time and then uh 9 11 happened and then uh everybody knew what muslims were and uh, didn't In a really, bad way. right didn't really like what they knew uh, yeah. or what they thought they knew or what they kind of thought they understood about islam and muslims so uh you know my, my career went from like being uh, playing cab drivers to doctors to terrorists you know and then suddenly I was um, uh, getting offered roles that were sort of those post 9-11 kind of thing and then and then I think like in terms of representation there's, there's 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 much more today than there ever has been obviously in media and in, you know culture is a tough word because what, what is the culture is the culture changing yes the culture is changing is there any credible backlash to that change that we see in our political environment, in our cultural environment? Yes, we do. We see an incredible backlash to the uh, um, displacement of white people's privilege and uh, the, the, the progressive left's movement towards more inclusion, uh, representation, diversity, things like that. So, you know, is there, is there that happening? Is that happening in a country and, and in our culture today yes you see that in media you see that um in politics and government every you know and just in every in every way but yeah. we also see a, a tremendous populism and nationalism and tribalism that has also arisen as a result of of that so it's almost a yin and a yang like and and the tribalism and populism you see all over the world. You know, you see it in India with Modi. You see it in uh, England with Brexit. You see it here with Trump. You know, it is that that um, anti-immigrant, anti-other, wanting to close in, build a wall. You know, these these are metaphor. The wall is a huge physical uh, and, and and psychological metaphor. Can you have a physical metaphor? I don't know, but like it's, it's a physical reality that represents a metaphor, right? a cultural metaphor for what is going on, which is basically like 
a kind of insulation, a kind of sense of like wanting to circle the wagons, close the ranks, you know, America, make America great again means really make America uh, great for white people again. You know, when was America great? I don't know. The 1950s, Ozzie and Harriet, like, you know, I don't know. Like it was probably when Trump was a child. That's when he thinks America was great because most people think the world was great when they were a kid, you know, unless you were, you know, abused or something. But like, that's the sort of nostalgia that we have for our, so the, yeah, so Trump thinks that America and, and a lot of probably his supporters feel like America was great when, you know, post-World War II, when you had this kind of new deal and, you know, uh, America, there was a great middle class being created for white people uh, and, and things were good and everybody had a, two cars in a garage and, you know, mom and dad and dad went to work and mom stayed home and, so, you, know, everyone, you know, that, that world. That world. I don't know if I answered the question at all, but it's okay. <laughs> I, enjoyed, I enjoyed talking about it. So what about your story? You were a kid and... I think you moved from the UK to the States. By the way, I was never a kid. I was always a very short adult. I was never a kid. Yeah, I've seen photos. <laughs> Cherubic <laughs> adult. <laughs> <laughs> what inspired you to be an actor? What inspired me to be an actor was uh, just, I, I, I don't know. It was, it was a calling. There's nothing, I mean, I watched a movie when I was a child called Bugsy Malone. Which was with Scott Baio and Jodie Foster. They were like about 13, 14 years old. They were, it was a gangster movie. They were shooting pies in each other's faces. And, you know, your listeners can go and, and, and Google it. It's a, it, was, it was a 70s movie, a gangster movie starring children. And I thought, what's that movie? One Christmas. It was on television and I saw it and I thought, that seems like the most fun thing to do that I can imagine doing. Um, and I want to do that. And so like literally I never looked back. Like it was literally like, I was like, Oh, I want to be an actor. Great. It wasn't about, it wasn't about being funny. It wasn't about being dramatic. It wasn't about any kind, no particular sort of thing. It was just like, I want to be an actor. And uh, that, then I joined a children's theater company in uh, the town where I grew up in, in the North of England. And I was fortunate enough to have a mother who allowed me to go and pursue it as a child, as a hobby and, you know, all that. You know, I love a quote you have and you talk about the impact of the impact of an artist. You say, and I'm just paraphrasing here, you can quote it, but you say, as soon as the artist starts thinking about the impact of his work, he becomes a lesser artist. And so yeah. maybe, maybe that's a little. Did I, did, I, did I say that? I, I think so. At least, at least that's what, that's what I probably I stole that from someone. It sounds <laughs> I think I probably stole that. Um, yeah, I mean, that is true. You know, I think that if you start thinking about the impact, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing, right? Like, because, you know, you, you do have of the business and sort of trying to, you know, the worst thing is you don't want to, you don't want to be an artist who's creating things that nobody sees or, you know, only your sort of, you know, your family sees, you know? So you, you want, you want to be able to like, have a uh, an audience, uh, a viewership, whatever, a, a platform. You want people to see your art. Otherwise, it's just working against yourself. But, but um, at the same time, being too conscious of what the brand is, again, going back to what you were saying, or, or like how people see it or what the result or what its impact is going to be on the world or in the culture or whatever, May, the, the tail starts wagging the dog, mm. you know, and uh, I feel like it doesn't really um, is it's not it's not where 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 our art is created. It's not where um, creativity comes from. Creativity comes from like something that a story you want to tell, uh, uh, something you want to say. Yeah. The minute you start worrying about the value of the thing. Or the impact of the thing, you have now um, diminished your ability to say it and 
as truthfully as you can, you know? So besides skill, what do you feel are some of the biggest challenges new and upcoming artists and comedians currently face in America? What are the biggest challenges that comedians and artists, actors are facing right now? I'm getting more at the social and cultural aspects of it. Do you feel that there are some challenges maybe certain groups are facing over others? Yeah, I mean, you know, so certainly, um, is, is it harder to tell certain stories? Yes. Still. Sure. I mean, is it harder to tell certain stories about brown people, black people, people of color, you know, transgender, gays, you know, like, is, yes. I mean, you know, white people have traditionally in our entertainment uh, and in movies and film and television gotten to tell most of the stories. Mm-hmm. And, and, most, and, 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 and there's a story that you can, you know, there's no story that's not boring about white people. <laughs> you know what I mean? According to other white people. But like, um, of course, you know, like, like for people of color or, my, uh, or, you know, it has to be sort of like stories that like have incredible significance. And there is still that sort of tendency of like, because, because I think probably economically this has been a reality that movies and television and theater have, have been geared towards the popular culture. Mm-hmm. So what is the popular culture going to come and see and pay for at the box office? Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't had a, and, and the popular culture for the most part has been white, heterosexual, maybe homosexual also in, uh, in, in theater, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> um, uh, I mean, that's where, uh, I mean, uh, theater is, is kept alive. You know, my, my old teacher, Wynne Handman, used to say, theater is kept alive by Jews and gays. You know, um, they are the, they are the, the, the primary uh, in New York and, you know, in, in, in the big epicenters of theater, especially in America, right? And then out, the movies and television are primarily watched by, you know, uh, mostly white Americans and may, maybe black Americans. So like to tell a story about uh, brown people, uh, or to sell, tell a story which is often felt niche or specific, even though it's an American story, has been more difficult to, um, to get made, you know? And, and, and it's only now that I think we're even seeing mm-hmm. the representation out there of more people of color, people of di- diverse sort of voices and, 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 and writers and stories and actors, you know, like, like telling stories of the American experience that are not just through the lens of like uh, white heterosexual people. Mm. Yeah. Do you, but do you feel that this is where the potential is at? Do you see that this is the white space? This is the space for growth is that we're seeing more diverse stories. We're seeing like black Panther or what have you. Mm-hmm. Do you see a explosion happening? Is, is that where we're going slow, slowly over time? Sure. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a, a change happening. I mean, let's see, let's see what happens in the next 10 years. You know, like right now is a, here's what, here's the thing. Like right now we are in a very kind of um, a renaissance of sorts in terms of television and in terms of media and in terms of, you know, with the streaming services and Netflix and Amazon and Hulu, and now Apple is getting into the game, you know? Um, Like there's this kind of, as you said, explosion of like outlets for content and and, and this, and this, and this con and these outlets need um, content and they're, and they're hungry for content. Mm -hmm. There's not, you know, Netflix is literally like trying to create like, I think, you know, I don't know, 24, 48 hours of nonstop entertainment for any any possible demographic that exists in the world right and so it's just just a vast platform of content Mm. so you have this kind of explosion happening and people are not watching content the way they used to anymore it's not like oh tuesday night you know dynasty is on or something you know what i mean it's not like that right it's like you're just watching it whenever wherever on millions, hundreds of platforms and YouTube and people, you know, so 
and you've got the sort of explosion of um, not explosion, but you you've got India and China and these India specifically, for example, like you know, for for a country that where many people don't even have electricity, everybody in that country in India has a cell phone, wow. and you know, like like um, it's yeah. got one of the largest you know, cell phone sort of, you know, like there's more cell phones in India than I think there are rats in New York city. You know what I mean? Like, like I think that, um, it's a good comparison. So, thank you. Uh, um, so, so, so the idea being that like, basically because, because you've got all this, everyone's walking around with an iPhone mm-hmm. or, you know, a cell phone suddenly People are like, oh, I want the, 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 this becomes a market. This, you know, so Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, Apple—they're all trying to get in. They're all trying to get into India. That's a good point. There's, there's a billion people there who are just sitting there, and uh, you know, and then and, and they're just ripe for content. They want content. They want it on their phone. And so, uh, for the first time, I think, as 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 actors and artists and creators of South Asian descent or color, you know, whatever you want to call it. Like we are, we have an opportunity here to create content that has never been created before, that has never been asked for before because Hollywood traditionally has not known how to monetize. You know, there's been Bollywood and then there's been Hollywood. Now there's like this, now with these streaming services and everything, the entertainment industry in Hollywood has figured out how to monetize India, how to monetize China. I mean, China has been you know, we've been creating movies for China for a long time. Like every big action movie is ultimately created for the Chinese market anyway. Yeah. You know, Americans don't go see movies in theaters anymore, but the Chinese do. And these 3D movies are all being created. They're created for China. They're not created for the U.S. market or the European market. You know, they're created for the Chinese market. So, you know, there's, there's a kind of global globalization happening in terms of like suddenly like Netflix and Hulu and Apple and whatever, Amazon, they're all looking for content in India. They're all looking to say, oh, let's get there. Let's tap that. So as Indian people from Indian origin or Pakistani or Bangladeshi or whatever, like it's an opportunity for us now to create content. And that, that is new. That is a, a new world that we've entered. Yeah. What do you hope to see more of, whether it be in Hollywood, theater, or these other platforms you mentioned? Right. What do you I mean? hope I hope to see the next. Uh, I want to see a, a, a South Asian Muslim superhero. Mm, that'd be amazing. Bengal tiger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to see. Uh, I want to see um, you know someone something like that. Like, be cool to have. Uh, like, it'd be you know that like, that would that would if you had a Muslim superhero. I think there were a couple of people working on that. Right there were the ninety nine names, I believe. Uh, there were a couple of things going on with Muslims. Right, right. Yeah. But not from, I'm not even talking about from a religious perspective. I'm just talking about from a Muslim cultural perspective. Like if you had a, it yeah. makes people so angry. It was like, if you had a Muslim cultural Iron Man, right? That'd be lovely to see, I think. Yeah, yeah. But I bet you would be the Muslims that would be the most upset. <laughs> exactly. Especially, yeah, I don't know where, but... You know what I mean? Like, like we'd be like, oh, there'd be so much backlash from, like, white people and, and yeah. Islamophobes. But I bet you'd be the Muslims who'd be the most upset. Yeah. Because uh, the Muslims would be like, you cannot have, you know, whatever. Like, there'd be, like, something, you know. Yeah. I think sometimes we, our own community, we do our own self a disservice. I actually want to talk about Hollywood and theater, right? You often praise theater as being... You know, you say it's a discipline that can't be replicated anywhere, gives you stamina, and there's like nothing like it in the rest of the world. Would you recommend like young artists going to theater before they try to do more like acting roles in a different way? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think theater is the fundamental training ground for actors. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to be an actor, you should you should 100% train in train in the theater. Because it's it's like it's like saying like oh I want to be a physicist, mm-hmm. but but I don't want to learn math. Yeah, you know it's like it's like yeah you, you, I mean yes you can go and be you know an on camera I mean you can go and train and uh, you know whatever acting is acting is is partly just an innate intuitive mm. you know just like anything else being a great musician or being a great painter or being a great actor, whatever it is, you know, singer, 
part of it is just a natural ability, a proclivity. Uh, and, then, and, then, and then the other part of it is a certain um, discipline and ability to replicate that. Anybody can be a great artist once. Mm. What do you mean? Why once? Like, like in other words, like, you know, uh, even a broken clock is right twice a day kind of thing. You know, like it's, it's you, 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 can, you can do it one time uh just by sheer luck you know it's just like or just by sheer talent mm -hmm. you might be able to create that great masterpiece can you create something else can you can you okay is, is there is there is there a discipline that allows you to yeah is there a consistency more uh, consistency yeah more of that and, and and you know and that's and that's uh that's a very good point uh, everybody has maybe everyone has one great novel inside of them you know can you write more than one? Like, and that's the thing about, that's why I think training and discipline is important. Not discipline so much, but training and, and basic sort of groundwork. Mm. You know, and theater, I think, offers that. Theater, I think, I believe, offers like a kind of just, you know, laying the groundwork for everything else, you know. You've revived Sakina's uh, restaurant. Yeah. Wait. Generally speaking, where do you see theater going? Do you see do you see trends and shifts happening? I mean, look, theater is a uh, is is the one of the oldest arts, and you know, uh, yeah, um, theater is you know one of those old arts that's been around for centuries and stuff. So you know, where is it going? Mm -hmm. I think look, the idea of people coming together in a space. And watching another person perform on stage in front of them live, there's nothing that you can do. There's no other version of that, right? Theater is a communal experience. It's like going to church. You know, it's like, it's going to, it's like going to a religious thing. It's like going to a mosque or something, you know, like it happens in a moment. It happens. It's an experience that is the beauty of theater is that no two performances are ever the same. Right. The audience is never the same. And so every night is a completely unique experience unto itself. Um, now that's true for any live performance. That's true for stand-up. It's true for theater. You know, like I think that like that, but that communal experience, which I think is very, very important. As humans, I think. As humans is probably being, uh, being taken away from our culture as we more, again, we, we, we aggregate towards social media and towards like an insulation, you know, like you can go on social media now and only talk to people who are like-minded as you and sort of live in your own bubble. Like we, we, we are basically, um, in your own echo chamber. In a, exactly. We're in our own echo chamber and we're in our own kind of like insulated sort of, world and 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 we've lost that that kind of community now will that evolve into a different kind of community at some point maybe there is you know like i mean the idea of like doing theater filming it putting it on amazon or netflix or wherever and like letting people all over the world experience it that is one way to share the content of theater but it doesn't share the experience of theater that has to be there physically. That has to happen when you're there communally. Now, there's a, there's a whole virtual reality world that we are entering into where VR may be able to replicate a, a sort of simulated experience of what it is to walk into a theater and sit down. And maybe there's a world in which you go and see a play and you never have to leave your house. You just put on VR glasses mm -hmm. or VR goggles and you have a virtual experience of like, walking into a theater, sitting down with a bunch of strangers who are also, I mean, this is, I mean, but this I, is my, 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 my version of the future. This is my futuristic pitch, right? Is that like you buy tickets to a play, but you don't actually ever have to leave your house. Mm -hmm. You and 400 other people just put on VR goggles mm. or VR experience. You actually walk into a theater, you sit down, in a theater and as an actor that comes out on stage and it's a 3d theatrical experience that you're having in a virtual world mm -hmm. 
with other people. Now, I don't know. That's a simulated reality. Maybe that is ultimately uh, the future, um, you know, where you go and that's what you do. And, and, and there is never any, uh, you don't need a physical space to enter into. It's all a virtual space. Yeah, but Asif, I feel that while like, that's fascinating and I can definitely see some of that happening, I feel the human element, the hum- our humanity is to sit together you know, as a community and have the communal experience. And I don't, I don't think there is, we can have the social media, we can have the virtual reality, but I think at the end of the day, there's nothing better than the communal experience. You see my point? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I personally agree with you. I wonder if yours and mine's opinion doesn't really matter. Because that's where the world is going? Yeah, because we're going to be dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're, how old are you? 25. Okay, you're not going to be dead. Uh, you're going to be alive for a while. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying like, I'm saying that like, the, the generation of people who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, those, those people are like, yeah, okay, that's great. It may be that the world actually, I don't know. There, there may be a world where that sort of community doesn't really matter anymore. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I, feel that- I, mean I, I tend to agree with you, and I, I feel like it's important for me. But, you know, but like if you go back, I don't know, 500 years, it was probably a level of a kind of cultural sort of, Maybe people were like, oh, you got to sort of, you know, like writing things down and sharing them will be a terrible idea. It must, I'm not 500 years, but you know what I mean? Like, like it may have been like there was a, like, like a, an odd, a sort of um, a verbal culture, you know, share stories and, da-da, you know, like, I don't know, you know, like we may be entering uh, a world where that concern is no longer. Yeah, but uh, I don't. I don't think it's an either or, right? So it's not that, okay, we don't have any virtual reality and we don't do it at all versus we only do one. I feel there's, there's a balance, there's a combination, there's a time and place, there's a context. And so I think that's what's going to depend on. Sure. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think that like, it's probably like, yeah. uh, there, there may be a, a, uh, a more nuanced sort of version of all of this, right. you know? I want to talk about South Asians and Muslims now. So you, yeah. you often quote, I think it's called, it's William Soroyan. William Soroyan? Yeah. I don't, I, do I quote him? I think so. And he says, if, if something's got to be done. Oh, no, no, that's not William Soroyan. I don't know if that's... Okay. On. Who is that? That's, uh, if something's got to be done, then and someone has to... Someone must... And, no, if something's got to be done and something got... Wait, if something... <laughs> Let me if quote. Something okay. has to be done. Go ahead, you do it. Okay. If something's got to be done, okay. and, something, and something must be done, then somebody's got to do it. Right. And you mentioned these echo chambers, and you mentioned we were talking about this bubble, right? Do you feel like art and comedy can sometimes break through those bubbles? And then, in this case of South Asians and Muslims, do you feel that it has been effective in changing negative perceptions? Honestly? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think I think that's that is the purpose of of. Uh, of art, of comedy, of at least for me, you know, the, the one of the big uh, one of the things that art can do is it can raise the mirror against the culture and say, "Hey, look in the mirror. This is who you are. You may not like it, you may not agree with it, but this is who you are." And in doing that, there is a way to sort of bridge the divide you know um you can see it you can see a play or hear a comedian or watch a movie or whatever and there can be a transformative experience where you are transported from your own narcissistic experience into the experience of somebody else and understand their experience and understand their perspective and understand something that you perhaps didn't understand and that may resonate with you on a personal level oh I am like that person, even though I am not like that person. Mm-hmm. Um, I relate, I understand their experience of the world, even though that is not my experience, but because there's an, 
even small overlap or something where I can relate to or, 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 or experience their humanity. And that's really, for me, what it's about. You know, like, I mean, that's what Sakina's Restaurant is ultimately about. That's what most of the things that I write or have tried to create have, have been about, like, ultimately about sharing humanity. And, and that is the thing that I think ultimately um, binds us uh, in spite of religion, culture, ethnicity, whatever it is, ultimately what binds us, as we all know, is humanity and is the human experience. And that seems trite and that seems like everybody says that, but um, art, I think, is, is the one place where you can actually um, experience that in a way, you know? Yeah. So what advice would you give to young artists in, in that case? I mean, you know, uh, advice is just, it, it would just be go forth and create, you know, just, just create stuff. Like yeah. if you're, if, if you want to do, if you want to perform, perform, if you want to do comedy, if you want to, you know, don't, don't. Um, now, have you found certain things in your career that you wish you knew like 10 years ago or 20 years ago that you know now? Or what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self or 10-year-old? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I wish that I had, um, I wish I'd known a few things. I wish that I had, I had started creating. And, you know, when I did Sakina's Restaurant, mm -hmm. I was like in my 30s, you know. I wish that I had started creating uh, a, lot, a lot earlier and, 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 and sort of, and I wish that, but more than that, I think I wish that I had had, I wish I had been aware and been more cognizant Absolutely. of the societal and cultural racism mm. that was this, the water that I was swimming in. You know, a fish doesn't know that it's swimming in water. A fish doesn't know what water is. So I was, I think, for many years in my childhood, in my, I wasn't aware that some of the reasons things were happening to me had to do with institutionalized racism. Mm, okay. And, and that it was... Not your fault as an actor. It was not my fault. It was... And so I think that knowing that or, or being cognizant of that, being aware of that, might have been disheartening. So there's two things, right? Like, like on one hand, it's like knowing that might have been a source of empowerment. It might have been like, oh, that is empowering because it's not my fault. I am as talented as everybody else. Mm. But if you're not writing parts for me, there's no way for me to prove that I'm as talented as anybody else, right? I'm not a second-class person yeah. because I'm brown, right? Yeah. Because Hollywood or the theater or whatever doesn't think that the stories about me are really interesting or relevant enough. Mm -hmm. So you become, a, it's literally becoming a minority. You are marginalized. So that marginalization, on one hand, you could take it personally. On the other hand, like you go, oh, it's not about me. This marginalization that's happening is cultural. Mm -hmm. That can be a disheartening thing, and it can make you go throw your hands up and be like, I'm giving up. This is, you know, the, the mountain is too hard to climb. Mm -hmm. Or you go, oh, I'm going to beat these people at their own game. You know what I mean? Or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. In my case, I think in a weird way, ignorance was bliss. I didn't know that there was, okay. I didn't know how big Goliath was. So I just went out there and tried to slay him. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that he was but, a huge institutionalized monster. Yeah. And I say that as like having been a success and having achieved things in my life that many of my other uh, brown actors and Caucasian white actors have not achieved, you know? Right. my colleagues or my friends or whatever. But I think that in a weird way, like I can't, I can't tell you whether or not it would have been a good thing to know that or a bad thing to know that, mm. you know, yeah. or to be more aware of it. Yeah. No, that's a fascinating point you make because if you knew about it, you might have done what you said, put your hands up and then say, I'm done. Yeah. But you know, again, that's where the, that is where, um, you separate the, um, 
the wheat from the chaff. I don't know what the saying is, whatever. <laughs> but like you, you basically like I think that. But in that instance, in that in that moment, and maybe this applies to African Americans who are much more who are conscious, I think, and cognitive and, uh, and 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 conscious of that institutionalized racism and prejudice that exists. Like then you say, okay. This is what I want to do, and my passion and my belief in myself is what drives me forward. You know, if you are a person who is going to go, oh well, then I'll go be a banker, or I'll just go be a doctor, or whatever. You know, like then maybe you don't have the stomach for it to begin with. Yeah, and and there's no and no judgment there. That sounds judgmental, but maybe you're just not of the proclivity because because doing this is hard, and being an artist, and being an actor, and being a performer, and when you're a minority, it's just hard. And it's just a really, really hard road to travel down. And it's a very, very, you know, especially historically. Today, it's much better. But even now, even today, it's not as, you know, it's not where, it's not easy. Back then, it was really hard, you know. Would you say it's easier now? A little bit more? Yes, and yes, it is easier now. Uh, You know, I think, I mean, again, the, it's interesting, because the entire world has changed, right? Like, like, um, uh, you know, there's more uh, outlets, there's more, you know, we're looking at this kind of, it's a conflation of things, right? It's a conflation of, it's a conflation of the, of Netflix, Me Too, Trump. (laughs) Like it's all part of the same, it's all part of it. Mm -hmm. You can't separate. And I'm not making a value judgment. I'm just saying that all of these things create cultural change. Mm-hmm. Not one of in a way, like all of these things, the good and the bad, the yin and the yang, the, the, the progressivism and the tribalism. Yeah, all of that create a, a force of cultural change that, is, that we are seeing now, which in that, yes, there is more space to tell stories that are representative of people who were not represented 10, 15, 25 years ago. Mm. Um, the roles that I get to play today, I'm doing a pilot for CBS right, right now. Uh, called Evil. Called Evil, which <laughs> is um, where I get to play a blue collar guy who drives a truck, wears a plaid shirt, work boots, is a contractor, and drives a pickup truck. Did I say that? Yeah, drives a pickup truck. So. Like that's a role, and I, and I think about that, and I go, oh, that's a role that I never, a, 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 they would never have cast an Indian guy in that role, mm-hmm. even like ten, five years ago. Like it's like, you know, we could, we were doctors, we were scientists, we were engineers, we were lawyers, we were in a suit and tie, we were like smart, you know. But like the idea of like actually casting uh, an Indian guy in a sort of traditionally blue collar white role. Isn't it in, in a way like, oh, oh yeah. well, that's kind of a, you know, that's, that's, that's new, you know? Like, so for me, as it's like, oh, right. I get to play this person and, and bring a kind of, uh, hopefully, you know, not just ape a white man, but a bring a specificity to that role. I mean, my character, they did change the name of him to give him an Indian last name. What's the name? Shroff. So, his character is still Indian or partly Indian, you know, like, but, you know, in, in, in another world, he might, I might just have been asked. I mean, I, I personally don't want to just try to ape what it would be like if a white guy played this, but now there's a brown guy in that role, which sometimes would happen, you know, where it's like, oh, we just, it's a white part, but we just put a brown man in there. So now it's, you yeah. know, check off the sort of, you know, um, uh, yeah. That diversity box, you know. Um, you hate that word, by the way. Huh? You hate that word. I hate it, but I use it all the time, right? Uh, but you know, like, like I think that. Um, so, so, so hopefully, there's a way to bring some specificity, and some real, like, specific cultural and human thing to that role, so he doesn't just become. Yeah. A white guy. I with agree. a brown face. Now, speaking about culture, and here specifically more your religious cultural identity, you're, you're a Bora Shia Muslim. Yeah. I mean, that's what my family is. Yeah. Do you, do you, 
would you say it's still part of your identity and impact you today? I mean, I think that uh, being a Muslim is part of my, yes, part of my cultural identity. It is part of my history. It is part of my, like, the way I was brought up. And I like, I, you know, I've often said that, like, uh, religions are like sports teams. You know, it's like you and I just happen to be born into Muslim families. And we happen to be raised Muslim. Someone else was by accident of birth was born into a Hindu family or an atheist family or a Christian family or whatever it is, right? So you and I are raised in a particular religious uh, well, you can change your sports thing. Team. Huh? You can change your sports teams. You can change religions. You can. You can change them, yes. And some people do, you know. But what I mean by sports team is that the indoctrination happens at a very, very early age, right? It happens, in, it happens between the ages of one and five. Okay. And I don't mean indoctrination in a negative way. I just mean that, that it's that old adage of like 90, 95% of the things that you learn in your life, you learn between the age of one and five. So if you learn that Islam is the religion and Allah is God, and you learn that as a child, you may go through a incredible metamorphosis at some point and change that and say, well, I'm, I don't believe that, or I believe something else or whatever. But that takes a tremendous amount of self-awareness and it takes a tremendous amount of like, um, of looking at yourself, examining your beliefs, examining the world, all of that stuff. I don't think a lot of people tend to do that. A lot of people just get on with it and, you know, they are the religion that they are. And this is, that's why I equate it to sports teams. Like, you know, it is kind of, you're born a Cubs fan. Like your father was a Cubs fan. Your grandfather was a Cubs fan. Like, you know, yes, you could become a Yankees fan, but. How many do it? But you're not, probably not going to. You know what I mean? Like, um, and so, and then the same, and, and, and look, I say this as, in so much as to say that for me, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, even though I don't practice or even necessarily have such a strong belief on a, on a very primal level, when I feel like I need to connect with the universe, with God, with the higher power, with, with, the, with the great you know, uh, spirit that exists that created this world. Mm-hmm. I don't walk into a church. Mm-hmm. I don't walk into a synagogue. I actually don't even walk into a mosque, but I will go in my other room and pray in a mosque. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. that's the difference, right? Like, like I don't, it's an emotional thing. It's a, it's a, like I, I have the way for me to connect on some very, very primal level is to pray to Allah and to say, Bismillah al-Manurim, right? Like that is what I was given as a very young child. Mm. And that's why religion is, that's why people throw their bodies over it, you know, because it is an identity. It is a, it is a, a thing that it takes, it takes, it takes a tremendous amount of, of, of self-reflection and, mm-hmm. and in a weird way, self-annihilation in order to be able to re- be reborn as like, oh, I believe some, you know, like, like yeah. and, that, and that takes a lot of work. And, 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 and look, it's, it's. Yeah, you're getting uh, esoteric with me. <laughs> what's that? They're saying you're going, you're going esoteric. Well, in a way it is, right? It's self-annihilation to be reborn. You have to annihilate the things that you feel like maybe beliefs. I mean, this is what, you know, it's done in therapy. It's done everywhere. Like, you know, like annihilate the beliefs that you think are the things that hold you back or keep you small or keep you in a confinement, you know, and that is, you know, I meditate every day or attempt to, but I also pray namaz. So, or, or, or try to. I don't always, but when I'm when I'm struggling, when I'm like fearful, when I am feeling anxiety, um, I try to do both of those things, and they both help me in different ways. You know. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about the future, and I ask I often ask a lot of my guests this question, and 
what I want to ask is like, what is your vision for the future? If you had to give a vision for 25 years of where you would want to see the world, what would your vision be? And like, what insights or suggestion would you give to achieve this vision? Where would I want to see the world? What would your vision for the world mean 25 years? I mean, I don't think that I, where I want to see the world just comes out of my own. No, what I mean is nar- like. Nar- it comes out of my own narcissism. and Let me specify. What I mean is, what do you want to see a vision in a sense of like, what would you want to see in the world in 25 years that like a, a specific thing that you see that we don't have currently? Yeah, of course. It, it, this is an individual question. So, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, uh, I think what I think is going to happen and it's not what I want to happen, but I think it's in an, I think it's perhaps inevitable is we're actually going to go in the other, other direction. Mm. We're actually going to go um, into the direction of being more and more isolated and more fragmented and fragmented from each other. And ultimately I believe we're going to end up living in a virtual world. Mm. <laughs> we're ultimately going to live in a world of our own creation. Like the matrix. Almost. Yeah. Like it's like, it's, it's like, it's like a, 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 a you know, uh, a natural evolution of where, of what Facebook is right now. Mm. If Facebook was a three-dimensional existence. Yeah. You know, we but only I- hang out with people that agree with us. We only hang out with people that like, you know, believe, you know, believe what we believe and, and share our same interests and our same, and, and that is monetized and can be, can be monetized. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that is where we will live in a, 3D version of Facebook or social media. I think we have to fight that in many ways. I mean, this whole idea of pluralism and this idea of, you know, even treating others as you want to be treated. I mean, I I don't think, I would not like to see a world like that, personally. Uh, Yeah, but like I said to you earlier, you're going to be dead. (laughs) I mean, and you're 25, but I'm talking about like 100 years from now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it won't matter what you want. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But we, we have to yeah. fight the good fight. But, but, I, but I, listen, I'm, I, I come from the archaic mm-hmm. sort of notion of theater, of community, of like mm-hmm. telling uh, stories of people. And I, I'm, I'm all about that. That is my sort of DNA, you know, like trying to tell stories and all that. But I think, um, I don't know if that's where the world is ultimately going to go. I don't, I don't, I don't, but look, story or maybe, that, maybe there's a way to, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea, but I, but I feel like ultimately that like I would want a world that is, uh, knocks down the, the walls and we live in a global kind of community where um, I just don't see human nature being able to tolerate that. We need these laws because we are at the very nature tribalist and selfish and narcissistic. Mm-hmm. So we need laws to tell us like, hey, you know what? Give to people who don't have as much as you. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have a natural inclination to do that. I don't believe human beings naturally go, let me give a third of my income to poor people. Okay. You know, when, 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 when we're left to our own devices, mm. truly to our own devices, yeah. We're like, let me hoard everything for me because we go all the way back to the primitive ape walking around in the, when he stood up on two feet for the first time and said, I need to clobber everyone else so that I can get that wildebeest and they don't. And that's what we all, we're just, you know, a, a, an ape wearing a suit. You know, like, like I think that at the end of the day, yes, these are aspirations that we should always be moving towards because otherwise our life has no meaning. Mm. It is what gives life meaning is to aspire to our greatest, highest purpose, which is inclusiveness, creating a global community, treating other people. And, and, and we have laws, we have religious laws, we have social and cultural and societal laws that, that sort of try to create the best society that we can create where we don't just screw each other over all the time. If, if, we just, if we just did that, if that was our natural inclination, I don't think human beings are, are bad, but I think we're selfish. Yeah, you know what my solution, I think the solution is 
giving people opportunities to work together. Sure. Yeah. I think that's the key. Yeah. I think when people work together, when people are faced with having to, again, it goes back to what I was saying to you as an artist, right? Yeah. The ultimate thing is humanization. When we humanize, when we see the humanity in other people, we connect with them. Yeah. Right? That, for me as an artist, is my aspiration. Right? So if you want to ask me how I hope, I hope that we can see the humanity in all of us and everyone can. And that's very pie in the sky. And as an artist, it is my aspiration. It is what I work towards. And that's why I think that, you know, I personally believe artists do God's work because I think that it is ultimately about that. It's about humanity. It's about creating a human connection. I don't know if that's where the how, how, if, how successful we are in doing that. Because I think there's a very, very strong force in the other direction that says, uh, you know, uh, be afraid of people who are not like you. Mm. Don't trust them. You know, and that's what goes back to our lizard brain. Our lizard brain and our survival brain is not about treat everybody with compassion and respect. Our lizard survival brain is compete, survive, Mm -hmm. and conquer. You know, biologically, biologically, right? Like we go, you know, it is that right? It's like, it's like, uh, it's not about like, and that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need Buddha. That's why, you know, we need, uh, any kind of religion or any kind of spiritual teaching that says, Hey, maybe it's a good idea. That is all spiritual teaching from the dawn of man has been like, Hey, can you get treat, treat other people with the same respect that you would treat yourself and give other people the benefit of the doubt and see, try to like, you know, don't steal, don't rob, don't kill, don't uh, rape, don't, you know, uh, pollute, don't conquer, don't, you know, like all these things that sort of try to create humanity, uh, understand other people's humanity. The man on the street who is a beggar has as much humanity as you have. We need to be reminded of that. Yeah. As if it's been a pleasure. I hope so. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to today's episode with Candid Insights. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe or follow us on social media for updates on future episodes. If you've already subscribed, please leave us a rating or review. It does help new people find the podcast. I'm Sahil Badruddin, your host. And for a transcript of this interview and others, visit my website at sahilbadruddin.com.